The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. It's beginning to look a lot like death mass everywhere I go. There's a body at the Holiday Inn whistling once again. You and I know Detective Moran has to go. It's beginning to look a lot like, oh, never mind. The mood is lost. Good Tentacle Tuesday to you, my fellow fiends. We return to the story with Jonah finishing his explanation and Detective Moran not buying what he's selling. As a matter of fact, he's so dismissive, he runs right out, almost daring Jonah's mythical monsters to, well, do what monsters do. And boy, do they. But I'm spoiling the fun, aren't I? <laughs> so let me assure you that there is plenty of graphic violence and salty language coming your way. Child endangerment? Not so much, but you never know. I'm sure we could arrange something. Now, grab your tentacles, your stuffies, a blanket, and cuddle in for a wonderful time of year. And chapter 12, A Death in the Family. First, Jonah continued. I guess I should explain what happened 15 years ago, at least to the extent I can. An old demon named Iglantros managed to escape from the Waste. The Waste? The chief interrupted. You can call it Hell, replied Jonah. A demon can escape Hell? Yes. There are three ways one can escape, Jonah added. The first through deceit and sacrifice. Someone who wants eternal life and is selfish enough to allow their family or sometimes friends perish. The second is by Ekmalak himself opening a doorway in order to gain an upper hand on Aldone. Ekmalak? Do you mean? the chief questioned. He had heard the name before in some old scripture that his aunt kept. Yes, the devil. And Aldone is the father of all. I see, the chief said. I'm more familiar with that name than the name of Ekmalak, but I can follow. The chief's eyes focused on the strange man in brown. The third, Jonah continued, and to my knowledge this has only happened once, a true repentance and an offer of salvation. That made the chief raise an eyebrow. You're telling me a demon can repent? Yes, and in fact one has, and that has Ekmalak all out of sorts, so to speak. Jonah wanted to avoid getting into a deep discussion about this. He wasn't ready to reveal Mr. Alistair or his story to them. So how does this relate to Warren? Jay snapped. Warren's grandfather was a demon hunter, and a very good one. He became a specialized tool of Aldone. But even demon hunters grow old and tired, and Jack decided to retire and start a family. This is utter nonsense, Jay scoffed, but Jonah ignored him and continued. Eglantros held a personal grudge against Jack, but was unaware he had died. He came to Montgomery 15 years ago and caught the scent of the Stevens bloodline. Me and my associates heard the news a little too late. When we arrived, Warren's parents had been killed. Eglantros had chased Warren from his parents' house 
and to the old cemetery. We were right on his heels when... When? The two men said simultaneously. Warren disappeared. Iglantos and a fit began to smash up the cemetery, and that's when I ate him. You what? Ate him. I'm a new creation called a demone comandente, or an English demon eater. The men just stared at Jonah. Jay began to walk away, not sure if he should laugh or cry. Well, if that isn't the biggest cock and bull story I've ever heard, Jay exclaimed. The chief just shook his head. And here, Mr. Hollander, we were actually willing to give you a listen, he added. I said you wouldn't believe me. Mr. Hollander, if you ate him, how could it be back? I don't know. Maybe he shed a piece of himself before I could finish the process, Jonah offered. And the scorch marks? Jay pursued. Those? When I release my power, it burns like holy fire. Watch. He picked up the claw and placed it in his left palm. The blue light pulled in his palm, and the claw turned to ash and smoke. Nice parlor trick, Jay sneered. Is that how you started the fire at the Stevens residence? No. That had nothing to do with us. It was burning when we arrived, Jonah stated. Mr. Hollander, even if I was to believe such a farcical tale, it doesn't answer how Warren showed up with no memories in a field of flowers miles away from the cemetery and his parents' home, the chief replied. No, it... Wait, Warren lost his memories? Jonah was unaware of this. Yes. Jonah sat back down. That meant Warren wouldn't remember him nor the gift he received from Uriel. Getting arrested in order to reach him turned out to be a serious mistake. I see, Jonah said. Chief. Yes, Jay. May I be excused? He asked. I want to go back to the winter residence and retrieve the other devices man tossed in the snow. Maybe forensics can ascertain if somehow they're responsible for the arson cases. The chief looked at the device Jay had handed him. While it didn't look dangerous, he too was curious about its nature. Yeah, go ahead, he replied. See if there's anything else there he might have left behind. Jonah stood back up and protested. I wouldn't do that, detective. You really don't understand what you're dealing with. Right. Boogeymen. Monsters. I'm sure to say hi for you, he waved as he signaled the guards to let him out. He looked at his watch. 2 a.m. Chief Reynolds, at least allow me to go with him. Mr. Hollander. You're going to stay here, in a nice cozy cell. He pressed a buzzer, and the two officers came in and escorted Jonah out of the room and to his cell. Gentlemen, you're making a mistake. Noted, Mr. Hollander, Jay replied. You can put that on my tombstone. I pray not. When Detective Stevens returns, we'll meet again, and maybe next time you won't try to feed us some bullshit story, Chief Reynolds said as he watched the guards take Jonah to his cell. Jonah allowed himself to be escorted back to his cell. He'd need to try to reach out to Maggie and the director by divination. That and he desperately needed to get back to the winter residence before Iglantros was strong enough to leave. Meanwhile, Jay Moran, with a full head of steam, nearly hopped down the stairs in front of the station to his car. Demons, monsters, and mysterious powers. Next thing you know, they'll want me to believe in Santa Claus, he grumbled as he turned the key and the Crown Victoria came to life. He flipped on the radio. Normally, he listened to police calls as he drove, but he was completely unsettled. He flipped on the headlights and started to drive off. It would be three-ish by the time he arrived. I should probably wait for daylight, but... 
I'm not going to sleep after that conversation. He thought about calling his wife. No, let her sleep. She's used to these hours anyway. Finally, he turned down the road leading to the cul-de-sac. With no major streetlights and it being cloudy, it stuck him how dark, dark could be. Finally, his headlights caught the faint outline of the police patrol car sitting at the edge of the cul-de-sac under a lone lamp that seemed oppressed by the encroaching darkness. Both officers immediately sat up as he approached, their car running for the sake of warmth and probably sanity. He pulled up next to them and lowered the window. Hall, Jonesy, detective, both officers responded. We weren't expecting to see you again tonight. Yeah, well, I couldn't sleep and I wanted to see if I could recover the other marker that suspect threw. The two men looked at each other. Now? Like I said, I couldn't sleep. Jonesy, would you mind grabbing your flashlight and escorting me up? Um, sure, Detective. Jake could see by the look on his face that he wasn't thrilled. Look, meet me at the walkway. I'm going to park over there. Jay moved the Crown Victoria to the front of the long walkway and turned off the engine. Popping his trunk, he grabbed his own flashlight and slung a shotgun over his shoulder. Jonesy jogged over, adjusting his coat as he did so. Ready? Moran asked. Not really, but... They made their way down the drive until they spied the heavy boot prints that Jonah had left behind. Follow me with that, Jay said, indicating to him to aim his flashlight at the strange glowing object in the snow about a hundred feet from the path. Yes, sir. Jay marched over and began digging when a cold, hollow laugh came over the snow from inside the house. Did you? He didn't need to finish asking. Jonesy was shaking where he stood. Jay looked at his watch. It was nearly 4 a.m. He should probably wait until sunrise, but follow me over there. I want to make sure no kids are playing games. Yes, sir. Jay approached the porch, and they stared up between the columns and to the door where he and Warren had entered through when they found what was left of poor Ben Cullen. He scanned the porch and the windows. Nothing. No sign of footprints, just a sense of heaviness and a cold that would make Frosty shiver. I'm going to go. His flashlight began to flicker. Ah, you gotta be kidding me. These are new batteries. He slapped it a couple times before finally it went completely out. Fucking pain in the ass. Jonesy, spot me for a minute, will ya? Yes, yes, sir. A beam of light licked the snow top and settled on him and his location. Spying some broken wood and some old rags, he made a makeshift torch. You didn't see this. He took a flask out of his heavy coat and poured some alcohol over the rags and lit them with his lighter. Okay, Jonesy, if anything happens, you get back to Hall and you call in immediately. He started to climb the steps and a shadow moved across the front of the doorway. Jonesy let out a scream, dropping his flashlight, and with that, everything went pitch black. Shit! Jonesy, what the fuck? Help! was all he heard in reply. Moran swung the shotgun down and around to where Jonesy was standing, but all he could see in the emerging moonlight was a dropped flashlight and a pool of blood-stained snow. Stepping away from the front porch, he began to call out to the young officer. Jonesy! Jonesy! He heard another distant, Help! Grabbing the dropped flashlight, he relit up the porch behind him. Three figures stood in its light, all with black, empty eyes, open arms and a hollow twisted smile. It was Ben, Grace, and Lindsay. Oh, God. A third shape joined them. 
a massive black shadow with pale red eyes focused solely on him. What the fuck are you? A voice came from behind him as a shadow in the shape of a woman emerged from the darkness. We should thank you, detective. Thank me? Who the fuck are you? What are you doing here? Oh, come, 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 detective. You were told by now that brown-robed troublemaker doesn't know how to keep his big mouth shut. He could feel a large thing nearly on him from behind, aiming the shotgun straight up in the hope of at least catching it by surprise to create enough distance between him and it, or at worst, Hall would hear it and call in. But the shadow was incredibly fast and his gun went flying from his hands and into the snow, his arm with it. Falling to his knees, he looked up at the strange creature that approached out of the darkness. It was carrying Jonesy's head like a trophy. Fucking bitch! Cassandra just laughed and lifted his chin towards her. Now all the pieces are complete. Jonah and your friend Warren will come to rescue you, or I should say what was once you. The thing began to drag him back over the snow and up the steps. He could feel himself bleeding out. He wouldn't be conscious much longer, and with his left hand, he pressed a button on the radio on his belt. Oh, run! With that, he could see his wife in her wedding dress, feel her kiss him and say, I love you, as he and his world came to their conclusion. Officer Derek Hall waited in the cruiser, but no one came back. It had already been an hour, and he was getting worried. He picked up the radio and called dispatch, Car 84 calling in. Go 84. Officer Jones and Detective Moran haven't returned from the winter residence. Please advise. But as he waited, finally he heard static and the crackle of a voice that simply said, Run. It went back to mostly static, but he could swear he could hear something else. Something slurping and teeth tearing flesh. He didn't wait any longer. He turned the ignition and punched the gas. Dispatch, this is 84. I need backup. Please send. The radio went to static after they heard a large bang as if his car hit something. Derek sat there for a moment, his mind racing at a million miles. How could he have gone off the road? His legs hurt and he pressed his way out of the crumpled front seat. Something moved behind him, making him jump. He turned and tried to look but there wasn't enough light from the dying cruiser or its broken headlights. Fuck. I'm so fucked, he cried. The radio crackled as he could hear people desperately trying to reach him, but he continued to back away. The moon broke through the darkness, and he could swear he could hear something lurking behind him. Then a few feet into the woods, he could see someone. It looked like Jonesy. Jones? Jonesy? Is that you? He began to move towards him. Help! was all he heard in response. I'm coming, Jonesy! Hold on! I'm... But it wasn't Jonesy, or anything he could call human. It had Jonesy's face, his skin, but... Help! It said again in a mocking tone as it shifted its shape to something so dark he could swear he was looking to night itself. 
A sharp pain erupted in his belly, and a bony grin met his face as a deep cold overtook him, and the world went dark around him. Mommy was the last thing that crossed his lips. Wonderful, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Having so many people die in one short chapter is so divine. <laughs> I wonder how this will go over to the station. And Warren, poor Warren is in transit, so he has no idea. No, not at all. As all he gets is Jay's voicemail over and over again and an empty feeling. As we now head to chapter 13, more bad news. <laughs> Splendid. Ha ha ha.